following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Uh, Good evening. Welcome if you're watching online. The other thing I was going to say is just give a testimony of God's grace to me personally, uh, just in a kind of a small thing, but uh, safety and travel on Friday and Sunday this past weekend. Um, on Thursday before I left, I noticed a noise in my car, so I took it to the shop, and they assured me after waiting a couple of hours that everything was okay. It was just tire noise. I came home and parked. Friday morning, got up. I had to be ready to leave at noon, and so I was uh, packing some things and uh, running around getting some last-minute things ready, and uh, as I was doing that, uh, one second, we have somebody calling in. All right. As I was doing that... um, I noticed that the left front tire on my car was very low on air. So I checked all my tires, pumped it up, and I had to add a lot more air to that tire than the other one. So I said, I know there's a problem. There has to be a problem with this tire. But I couldn't tell what it was. I sprayed it with soapy water to see what I could, no leaks. Of course, I couldn't get access to the whole thing. So, But it was a bad, it, something was wrong with it, I was sure. So I pumped it up. Drove on my way, uh, and I took in my trunk a portable air tank uh, filled up with air so that I could fill up the tire if I had to. And I drove down 236 miles one way on the Ohio Turnpike, um, and then a little bit off the Turnpike uh, south of Youngstown. It was there Friday, um, back and forth between the hotel and the church and a restaurant and a couple other things, Saturday, Sunday morning. Um, Gave a ride to one of the other speakers from the hotel also. Uh, dropped him off after lunch at the hotel and then started on my way back, 236 miles back. I'm watching the gauge on my car that talks about the tire pressure on that left front tire, and it was good the whole way. Uh, got here to the church, as you know, at 10 minutes to 6 on Sunday night. Came in, we had the Lord's table service. Uh, got in the car after service, drove home. As I was driving home on Packard, the car started pulling hard to the left. And I thought, well, that's odd. I didn't connect in my mind that it was necessarily the tire. I just thought, well, I mean, I thought maybe the tire, but maybe it was further damaged or something else has happened. So went up Charing Cross, parked in the garage, and forgot about it for a few minutes while I was unpacking the car. And then I went out in the garage and looked, and the tire was totally flat, totally flat. So I took the tire off the next morning, and there was a bolt. You know, uh, the the hex head, about three-eighths size head bolt sticking into the side of the tire. On the inside where I couldn't see it, um, yeah, so God providentially watched over me that whole almost 500 miles on a very bad tire, and so I'm thankful for that. So I took the wheel off. I ins- I, it took me one second to see the problem. I mean, it was crazy how easy it was to spot. And so I took it over to the tire shop, and they fixed it up um, yesterday afternoon. It was done. I brought it back, bolted it onto the car, and I'm off to the races again. So what an account of God's gracious care. I really appreciate that. And uh, the, tire, the tire could not be repaired, by the way. It had to be thrown out and replaced. It was damaged badly enough. So, so that was that. I just thought I'd give a testimony of God's uh, care.
I appreciated his care, and I do thank him and pray that you will thank me with him. Uh, thank him with me. Um, so let's turn to Matthew chapter 12, please. And we're going to start in chapter 12 at verses 1 through 13. Um, we've completed chapter 11, although my, my notes, I feel, are incomplete because I wasn't able to type my notes for my last segment of chapter 11. I was on the road, and uh, my notes are in a glorious format on a legal pad, uh, barely readable even by me, much less by you, but uh, they're there. So but we move on to chapter 12. And chapter 12 is, uh, opens with two accounts of uh, the Lord's work on the Sabbath. And let me read verses 1 through, uh, well, let's say 10. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even Of the Sabbath. Verse number 9. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Now, we won't read the rest of that, but I'm sure you're already familiar with what happened there that he did heal the man. These two episodes record a debate about what constituted sinful work on the Sabbath. And I put work in quotes here, okay? Sinful work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees had constructed increasingly elaborate fences around the Sabbath, trying to protect the people from disobeying the Sabbath by saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't walk, you know, even today, you can only walk a certain distance, you know, turning on a light switch or doing whatever is too much work or it's something to be concerned about. And... They put these fences up, and it has become more and more burdensome to the Jewish people. And this is what the Lord rebuked the Pharisees for, Matthew chapter 23. You lay burdens upon men's shoulders. They're so crushingly heavy, and yet you won't help lift them with your own finger. You make them work, and it's not saving work in any case. Minuscule activities were declared illegal violations of the Sabbath commandment, Legalistic zeal had driven these people far from the original intention of the Sabbath command and its interconnection with the rest of the law. And that interconnection has to do with verse 7 where the Lord talks about mercy and not sacrifice. And we'll touch on that in just a moment. Now Jesus was certainly teaching differently than the Pharisees teach. But he was not offering a new view of what the Sabbath was all about. That is, what he says here is not in competition with the law of Moses back in Exodus, for example. Rather, he was demonstrating the correct understanding of the Sabbath in the Decalogue. 
What's the Decalogue? Deca, ten log words, the ten words, the ten commandments. That Decalogue and the understanding of the Sabbath was based on mercy and compassion and common sense, not legalism. So uh, we'll see in the second section, you know, what happens if somebody's uh, oxen falls into the pit? Do you leave it there over Sunday because, oh, it's the Sabbath, we can't rescue this poor animal and leave it in there to die, perhaps, and not get it out until Monday, I mean Sunday, the day after Saturday, the Sabbath? Um, no, the Lord, the Lord did not intend that kind of thing when he spoke about the Sabbath. If there's an emergency, there's an emergency. You must take care of the emergency. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath regulation was laid out. And if you turn back in your Bible, I'll take you to the first portion of Scripture where you find the Sabbath, and that's in Exodus 16. Exodus and chapter 16. Verse 22, and so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, this is manna bread now, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said, tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. Now remember, they were told not to gather more than they need for each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And if they did, then it bred worms and stank the next day. But on Friday, they could gather twice as much so that they would have left over for Saturday and it wouldn't breed worms and stink. And they would be able to eat that without having to go do the harvesting work on on the Sabbath morning. Because remember, when the sun came up, it burned it off, this manna kind of coriander seed type dew that fell on the ground and the sun would, would burn it up and it would disappear after the morning hour. So it says in verse 24, they laid it up until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. That, this, is, this is the miraculous provision of God for 38 or more years in the wilderness Amazing, amazing. God provided the bread from heaven to begin with, and then he provided a special dispensation for the Sabbath so that it would not rot on Friday into Saturday. How about that? Very amazing. Then Moses said, verse 25, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So not only did God provide the manna from heaven uh, on Sunday through Friday, but he didn't do it for Saturday uh, at all. Now listen to this, 27. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. Did they not get the memo or something? I mean, you know. The Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day and so on. They called the name of this bread manna, which means what is it? 
So it's a very interesting literal name. They didn't really know how to describe it. But the point of all this is to say they had a Sabbath regulation now. They were to be following this, and it seems that they knew about this before, but this is the first kind of lengthy explanation of it. Now, from, what, from this I gather a couple of things. Um, work was to be done ahead of time so that it did not have to be done on the Sabbath day. But the work had to be done, it's just that it had to be done ahead of time. So you do seven days worth of gathering in six days, right? Okay. Another point is, eating was not forbidden on the Sabbath. Notice that. In fact, the whole introductory idea of the Sabbath has to do with eating. You're supposed to gather and have it in store so you, you can open the manna refrigerator and pull it out and eat it on, on the Sabbath, on Saturday, morning and noon and, and night, whenever your regular meal time was. Now, also on this day, the Sabbath, it appears that it was a day of worship because it was set aside as a holy day. Look at verse 23. This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. It's set apart to God. And in that, it seems that it was connected to remembering the Lord's creation and his rest from that work. Why was there a Sabbath? Well, there was a six plus one pattern. God created six days. By the end of Friday, Adam and Eve were made all the animals were made, all the plants were made, earth and everything was finished, and God rested on the seventh day. And that six plus one work-rest pattern was to be repeated by humanity after that point. And it was in, in law here for the nation of, of Israel. So it was set aside as a day to remember the Lord's creation and rest and to, as I understand, to worship God. And we'll see a little bit more about this in just a moment. The second mention of the Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments themselves, which is in chapter 20 of Exodus. And it says that uh, in verse number 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep it set apart from the other days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God or of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. All, none of your people shall do work, none of your cattle. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that's in them, rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and hallowed it, set it apart. It's also mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is the second giving of the Decalogue to the next generation of Israelites who were coming into the land or about to come into the land at the end of Moses' life. Now the next one is in Leviticus. I'm taking you to these passages because I want us to be very familiar with the basic teaching of the Sabbath in the law of Moses because this is the issue that the Lord Jesus is facing with the disciples as they face off against the Pharisees in the complaint that they were not keeping Sabbath. Leviticus 22, 2-3. God says, Speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord. Say to them, Whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations, whoever goes near the holy things... Now, this isn't the passage I was looking for, I think... I'm going to have to double-check that address. 
the, the, the verses that I was looking for teach that the Sabbath day was required to be a, a day of thorough rest. Where is it? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It had to be in Leviticus, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's not in 20. Yes, thank you very much. It's 23, not 22. <laughs> yes, and I remember now because 23 is all the feasts. So that's good. Thank you. So it says this in 23.2, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, they are my feasts. Verse 3, Six days work shall be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. The, the wording here in the Hebrew text when it says the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, it's like a Sabbath of Sabbaths. It's a, it, the construction in Hebrew is an emphatic construction. It repeats the words two times to get the idea across. And there's some trouble in, in translating it. Is it solemn rest? Is it thorough rest? Is it complete rest? You know, the, the idea is that it's a real Sabbath and it really needs to be uh, you know, you need to really watch out for it. It's a solemn or complete rest. It's also a day of holy convocation or what some have maybe said, sacred assembly. This pair of words, sacred assembly or holy convocation, is somewhat challenging to understand because it can mean either an assembly of God's people or it can mean a public reading of Scripture, which is kind of odd. But where did the public reading of Scripture occur? in front of an assembly of God's people. And so in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, it talks about in that famous chapter where they read the law for a quarter of the day and then prayed and repented and, and understood the law and were taught the law and everything. That is what it's, that's the word there. That's a convocation. A public reading of Scripture would occur at such a convocation. So the difference is not really that significant for us if it's a convocation or a reading that happens at the convocation. But in either case, this supports what I was saying above, that this is a day of worship. And Jews have always held this to be a day of worship. They come to the synagogue now, uh, years after this, of course. Um, but they should have learned from the priests and, and said, you know, they should have demanded the priests to come and teach us the law, help us to understand the law of God so that we can know what God wants us to do, but they didn't. And for many years, they were without teaching priesthood. And of course, it left them in shambles spiritually. So it was a day of worship as well as the other. Now, there's one uh, interesting case scenario of uh, this in Numbers chapter 15 in verse number 30. It says this, But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native-born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord, he shall be cut off from his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandments, that person shall be completely cut off and his guilt shall be upon him. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Now people look at this and they say, just in isolation. What, what's the big deal about gathering sticks on the Sabbath day? Because it comes right after those two verses that I just read about presumptuous sin, that's what this guy was doing. He knew the law. He knew that it told him to knock it off on Saturday. 
and he didn't do it. And he thought he'd get away with it. So people found him, and they brought him before Moses and Aaron, and they decided with the Lord's direction that he had to be put to death because that was a presumptuous sin that he had committed. Don't, don't read this, and oh, some poor guy didn't know, and he's just you know picking up sticks in his front yard. And No, he's not doing that. He's picking up sticks to gather wood for a fire or to or do something. What's that? Or maybe to sell them, you know, he's gathering firewood for somebody else. But he knew the commandment. He, the whole nation is at rest. I mean, it's like, it's like it used to be kind of around, around these, our country on, on Sunday, say 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Things were closed. And you, everybody just knew. You don't go out and you don't do all the shopping and you don't, I mean, sometimes get in gasoline or, or whatever. You've got to plan your week so I've got to get gas on Saturday or I've got to get it on Monday or something. Yeah. And pharmacies. Yeah, and so some of that's understandable because that's like the ox falling into the pit. You know, you've got to go to the doctor on Saturday and you get your medicine on Sunday and so on. We'll set that aside for now, but everybody knew that's, that there's something different about Sunday, and now it's become all secularized. But in any case, those are uh, a number of the early references to the Sabbath in the Scriptures. Now, going back to Matthew chapter 12, the Lord and his followers were walking from one place to another on a Saturday. Now, because the Lord was doing that, I'm talking about walking. Because he was doing it, it was not a sin. Now, for the Jewish person, you looked at me like, what am I talking about? For, for the Jewish person, Daniel, some uh, will say, you cannot walk more than a certain distance on Saturday. Okay? If you're going to walk to synagogue, the synagogue has to be within walking distance, and it's got to be a short distance. If it's more than that, then it discounts, uh, it counts as work, okay? and it can't, you can't do that. Now, that's not everybody of the Jewish or Judaism today, but that's some for sure. So, um, but the Lord is walking in the fields. Because he was doing it, we know it was not a sin because the Lord never sinned, right, by definition. And his disciples were not either. The disciples began to be hungry, as you would expect, if you've been walking for a long distance. And they're going through where? They're going through the grain fields, you know, now, this was not a sin what they did, but if it had been, the temptation would have been too great and they would have broken their, the law anyway, but they weren't breaking the law. Uh, they were just going along and picking a head of grain and probably rubbing it out or however they do that, and then they were just popping it in and munching on it as they went. Okay, this is the ancient version of the graham cracker. You know, they got it right from the wheat, and they're like, got to have a snack, you know. Um, the Lord did not rebuke them for doing this, which I would think he would have done if they were, in fact, sinning in his presence like that, but they were not. They were just living life. There was no prohibition against eating on the Sabbath. Remember, in fact, the Sabbath was established around eating, not gathering, of course, but eating. And what they were doing could hardly be called harvesting. They, they weren't harvesting and putting it into a basket or tying the wheat into sheaves and beating up sheaves and, and, uh, and tossing them up in the you know, into the wind, beating them down and tossing them up and having them winnowed and all that. Um, it just wasn't anything like that. In fact, I didn't write this in my notes, but you might wonder too, well, whose property was this that they were walking through? I mean, we wouldn't feel like you could do this 
today. I wouldn't just walk in my neighbor's cornfield and pick an ear of corn now and again and munch on it. That would be considered trespassing and certainly bad manners. But in this culture, it was not because the Lord said, you, if you're walking along or there's the corner of the field or whatever, it's, it's, it's for everybody. Anybody can have that. It's the Lord's increase anyway. You know, it's not yours, which is an odd, a different, maybe a different way of thinking than what we're used to. But uh, when you plant a seed in the ground, who gave you the result? You didn't do it. I mean, you applied some labor to it and so on, but God gave the increase, and uh, so we thank him for that. But at this, the Pharisees complained to Jesus, criticizing that the disciples were breaking the law on the Sabbath, breaking the law of the Sabbath, perhaps we could say. But they were bearing false witness about this, perhaps because they were self-deceived about the nature of the Sabbath. What do I mean? They were bearing false witness because the disciples were not breaking the law. Jesus was not breaking the law. They might have been self-deceived because, see, what happens when you have a religious system that says Bible plus tradition, you add so many layers of tradition on top that people begin to soon forget what is at the bottom, which is the Bible down here. And then these traditions get so far away from the Bible that they become anti-Bible. That's what's happened in large churches like the denominational ones in the Catholic Church that our brother is often telling us about and, and, uh, and others. In fact, the folks that we uh, were ministering to, as I mentioned uh, on Monday night, they have also a holy book and a body of tradition, which kind of is in complement to or almost... It's extra for sure, but it might be replacing some of what's in the book, their book, not our book. But that's the problem with tradition. Tradition ultimately comes in conflict with with the, the original source, and then you have a problem. So they had developed all these layers of stuff on the Sabbath. The traditions had been around for so long that they did not understand how far they had strayed from the original intention of the Scripture written by Moses. And that's a danger in any system that emphasizes traditional teaching. That's why we have very little emphasis on creeds and confessions. You know, you don't hear me talking about the Westminster Confession of Faith or, or the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession or whatever. As nice as those documents are, our faith is resting on this book, on the Bible. Okay, I'm not decrying the existence of those Don't take me to be saying that, some that are perhaps listening and wondering, oh, they're anti-confessional. That's not the point. The point is that we've got to go back to the Scriptures. I cannot be up there preaching from the Westminster Confession on Sunday. I have to be preaching from this book. Yes, man's word as sanctified as it might be at times and unsanctified many times is nothing compared to the Word of God. Now, Jesus gives four responses to their nonsense. Number one, the example of King David. King David comes to Nob and Ahimelech, the priest at Nob. Now, he wasn't the high priest. Abiathar was the high priest, but Ahimelech was a priest there. And he said, do you have anything for us to eat? And the guy said, the priest said, no, we don't have anything except the showbread or the bread of presence that we have here. And uh, it's not lawful for you to eat. But they made an arrangement and agreed that, yes, we will eat that. We're, we're ceremonially clean, 
and so on. It wasn't morally prohibited for that bread to be used to relieve starving men in need, but it was normally prohibited because that was a ceremonial issue that God had set in place. But again, when the ox falls into the ditch and you've got to pull him out of there, then uh, you know you have a need here. It's a hunger need, and the hunger had to be filled. So that happened, and nobody blames King David for that. What the Lord is doing, what the disciples rather are doing here, is far less controversial than that. You know, second reason or response to the nonsense of the Pharisees: the Lord said the Sabbath is quote profaned by the priests every Saturday. Why? Because the priests have to trim the lamps, they have to offer the morning and evening sacrifice, they have to offer any other sacrifices that are required on on the Sabbath day or by individuals that maybe come and have a need. Whatever all that entailed, they had to work on the Sabbath. And nobody blamed them for breaking the Sabbath. So they had to do all of that work. There's no rest from that work. How long did they have to keep that lamp burning, by the way? All the time. Permanently, right? And, and when, did they, when were they excused from doing the morning and evening sacrifices? Never. Never. They always had to do those. So this was commonly understood as right and good, although it wasn't spelled out in specifics in the written law code. You know, they didn't have an exception clause back there in Exodus that says, except for the priests when they have to do the work of the blah, 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 blah. Okay? Churches that have, this is illustrated by today, churches who have a very strong Christian Sabbath view. Do you know what that is? That's the view that Sunday is the new Sabbath, that all you should do on Sunday is rest. You can't do any work. You can't go out. You can't shop. You can't whatever. You, you know, kids go home and you just have to be quiet the whole day and it's a day of rest. Yeah, well, what's the preacher doing on Sunday morning when he's up at the pulpit? Working his heart out. Sunday morning, maybe two times like we do here. Sunday night and maybe has somebody come over to share a meal with them and Mrs. Pastor is doing all the work that she does and, and all of that. And nobody blames me for working on the Christian Sabbath. They just say, ah, he had to take Monday off. Well, where did Monday come from in the Bible anyway? You know, no, nobody thinks about, like, nobody thinks ill of that sort of thing. And this is kind of idea that the Lord is trying to get out to them. Thirdly, the third response, this is powerful. In chapter 12, in verse 8, it says, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He is over the Sabbath, not under the Sabbath. He is greater than David even. He's greater than Abiathar the high priest at the time of David. He's greater than Ahimelech the priest at, at Nob. He's greater even than the temple that sanctified the bread of presence at that time. Of course, it was the tabernacle during David's day before Solomon built the temple. He was greater than all the sacred functions done there at that tabernacle. The Pharisees would not dare to speak in their critical and condescending tone if they knew that they were speaking to the Lord of all the earth who made them and sustained them at that very moment. The Son of Man, the Messiah, is in charge as king. He could, quote, violate the Sabbath if he pleased, yet he was not violating it at all. 
But today we violate the Sabbath, don't we? We don't keep Sabbath, do we? At the direction of the King of Kings, who has said, let no man judge you in regard to a Sabbath day. That's why we can do different things on Saturdays than they could in ancient Israel. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing statement. Fourth reason or response that Jesus gives to these Pharisees for why they are wrong. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. If I could paraphrase this in longer form, I would say this. God wants your heart to be inclined to be merciful and compassionate toward others, not to be hung up on the letter of the law and have no regard for people. That's what he's saying. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That quote comes from Hosea 6, 6. The Lord is telling the people of Israel, I am sick of your empty sacrifices. You can go on and sacrifice a million sheep. I'm paraphrasing now, okay, but this is what the point of it was. You can sacrifice a million sheep and a million goats and donkeys and oxen or whatever, you not donkeys, they weren't clean, but all of that. It's not going to make a, a bit of difference to me if your life is full of idolatry and sin and hatred and wickedness and all of that. They were offering imperfect animals at the altar. Some of the priests were sniffing at the whole enterprise of sacrifice. This is said in Malachi. You know, you sniff at it, just like, you know, what is all the sacrifice we've got to do, you know? Some sinned without regard for the sacrifice. Some carried on in idolatry as at the same time they were doing sacrifices. God wanted true religion, not fake. The Lord was eating with tax collectors and sinners, remember, in chapter 9? And he quoted the same thing. You Pharisees, God desires mercy and not sacrifice. You guys are thinking totally wrong about these matters. The Pharisees demonstrated that they did not know the love and mercy of God. They were harsh against sinners, not compassionate toward them. They were giving out the very opposite of a godly attitude. Now, there's a fifth reason, five, that's not encountered in this text, but it is in the Mark chapter 2 text, and it's this. Jesus there is recorded as saying, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So in addition to the examples of of David and the showbread and the uh, example of the priests profaning the Sabbath and Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath and the the desire for mercy and not sacrifice, we have this. Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This is a very helpful play on words. The word order. Um, The word for... In both cases means on account of or for the benefit of. So the Sabbath was made for the benefit of man. It was not that man was made for the benefit of the Sabbath. Okay? So the idea of that is God made gracious provision for men to rest. People. Okay? Not just males. You understand. Okay? Uh, We're not all caught up in the gender craze today. Um It's a good thing that God said you should rest one day a week. You can't run the factory seven days a week. You will will burn people out. You will lose productivity. Uh, It's just foolishness. The society needs a time to come apart and especially to do what? To worship God 
on that seventh day. Every week we need that. Now, the focus of worship is not supposed to be laws or days or touch not, taste not, handle not, legalistic rules. The focus of worship is not to be the Sabbath. What's the focus of our worship? God and his son, Jesus Christ. The Pharisees were criticizing God the Son, whom they should have been bowing down to worship. Bad move on their part. Of all people in Israel, they should have thoughtfully recognized the Messiah instead of hating him and, as later in the chapter says, plotting to kill him. Our worship is to be true and honest, compassionate, merciful worship of the Lord and demonstrated toward our fellow man and not to be critical of people just grabbing a snack. It's ridiculous. You know, when your legalistic rules get to that point, you've got to just throw them out. They're, they're not working. <laughs> Something's really wrong when your attitude is like that. So we commend that to you and remind you that God made that thing for the benefit of mankind. And, and I commend to you the principle of one day of rest out of seven. Uh, do take some time to rest and uh, care for yourself uh, time to time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for allowing us the opportunity to look at the Word tonight. And although we didn't make a full exposition of these uh, seven or eight verses, we did make a, an attempt at it. And we thank you for what we saw there. We'll see another like it in the next verses. Lord, thank you for the Lord Jesus' clear uh, clear-eyed view of what righteousness really is all about and not this legalistic rules-based do's and don'ts as an approach of merit to God. We know that doesn't work. That yoke is too heavy for any man to bear except for the Lord Jesus Christ who bore it wonderfully and kept the law perfectly and died in our place, taking the penalty of our breaking of your moral code upon himself. Thank you for his love in doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, a little bit late tonight because we got going so late, but we're going to wrap it up here. So have a good night. The Lord bless you and keep you, and we will see you again soon. Amen. Thank you if you're online as well.